Ready or not, I call out. Here I come. One last game of hide and seek before bed. He's not crouched, giggling behind the couch. He's not behind the drapes or hiding beneath the stairs. I think I hear him upstairs. The muffled sound of feet in onesie pajamas. He's so bad at hiding, but I'm good at feigning surprise. I have to be. It's upsetting when I find him too fast. He gets angry, and I can't get him angry. I see his long shadow through the open door now, spilling out into the hall. I pretend not to see it. I pretend to seek. One last game before bedtime, and then, maybe, he'll let me go. I don't know how he gets in every night. Windows locked and doors shut tight. I don't know how he always finds me. WNSP presents the No Sleep Podcast Hour, starring David Cummings and the No Sleep Players. Nights of darkness. Fear creeping through your soul. Pounding heartbeats. Join us for tales of horror during the dark hours when you dare not close your eyes. And we're warning you. Brace yourself for the No Sleep Podcast. Good evening. I'm David Cummings. Thank you for daring to be with us at the No Sleep Podcast Hour. Games people play, night or day, they're just so tragic. Especially the game conjured by author A.A. Delevingne, which was this episode's cold open, Hide and Seek, performed by Lindsay Russo. I'm delighted to announce the latest book from Sleepless Sanctuary Publishing. It's by author Christina Orley. You've heard her tales on the podcast before, and now she has a new book titled The Archaic Chest. Welcome to The Archaic Chest, where the objects of your dreams quickly turn into the instruments of nightmares. From vengeful reflections, at-home clinical trials gone wrong, and quirky party guests, to urban legends with a twist, these 12 stories are sure to keep you guessing about what might be lurking in the shadows. Check the show notes to find out how you can buy the ebook or paperback copy of these delightfully dark short stories. You'll discover that the allure of old things might just be your demise. And once you're done with the book, why not consider watching some television from all the way back in the 1950s? So now, adjust the antenna, tune in our signal, and settle in front of the TV to watch this week's Nightmares. In our first tale, we delve into the world of gaming. And if thoughts of consoles, joysticks, and graphics cards come to mind, I'll remind you that we're set in the 1950s. As such, we're talking about board games. And as we learn from author Lucius R.T. Green, 
Board games have been popular for decades and still have avid fans, like the man in this tale, a very avid fan indeed. Performing this tale is Peter Lewis. So roll the dice if you dare, but if you're cut short, you'll know you're playing the game of... Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for coming at such short notice. Can I take your coat? No? Well, I don't know how long we'll be. It's a long game. Maybe not quite as long as Risk, but certainly not Scrapple length. I'm so very excited to share it with you. Oh, don't worry, dear. It's not boring. And the rules are simple. You'll pick them up as you go. In fact, that's part of the fun. This game... Oh, no, I didn't tell you what it was called, did I? No matter, everyone has different names for it. I was going to call it Sorry, but that name was taken. Also, there's no apologizing. No apologizing, no taking back a move once your hand has touched the piece. No, what do you call it, um, intermissions, hmm? The game doesn't stop, is my point. Once it begins, there is no laying it aside for a week and picking it up next weekend. We'd come back to an empty board, and then where would we be? No, 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 I told you. It's simple, easy to learn, uh, well, you know the saying that comes with that, don't you? A mastery and all. <laughs> okay, just take a seat around this board. No, don't touch that. Sorry, I shuffled the deck perfectly. Wouldn't want to mix up the cards. <laughs> take a seat. Take a seat. There we are, everyone comfortable. Hmm? I think we are ready to begin. Now, to start, everyone chooses their pieces. Yes, it is just like Monopoly, only none of these pieces are top hats or motor cars, no. Now be careful when picking them up. Oh, yes, that's why. Sorry. They do bite you when you manhandle them. They aren't conscious yet, but they will be. And when they are, guiding them will require more finesse. First, I roll the die. This serves a double purpose. Firstly, to wake my beast to the path before him. Secondly, to show him how far he will go with each passing turn. Now, once I have rolled, I move him. Notice how I do this? How gently I guide him. Now, if you do this right, he will never feel your hands upon his shoulders. Uh, upon the small of his back, beneath his feet. Uh, he doesn't want to go this way. But don't worry, he'll eventually realize he has no other option. I have the board and the dice, I have the power. All he has are his legs, and some feeble ideas that I could pinch out between thumb and forefinger if I wished to. Right now I don't wish to, but if he becomes too difficult I may snap him in two. That carries a significant strategic risk. I'd have to start all over again, you see. 
So if you feel something is going poorly early on in the game, best to break the peace, start afresh. Don't worry, I always have more in the box. Now, as you guide your pieces through their lives, you'll see them change, multiply even. They'll develop their own notions about where they are headed, even if the destination was set long before we picked them from their box. I think it's a good strategy to preserve hope, guide them to enough material success that they keep going, keep pushing on to greater pains just over the horizon. Do they <laughs> cry? Well, of course they do, every now and then. It shouldn't make much difference to your overall strategy. Sometimes they sit down and refuse to progress at all, thinking that this stubborn refusal means they have some power over how the game is played. This was a real drag on my beta version, I don't mind telling you. Now don't worry too much about that, though. Most of them know it's best to cooperate and progress the number of spaces that I commands. <laughs> there is pain ahead of them. But even this pain is better than being swept from the board entirely. So, how do you win? Hmm? I'm glad you ask. This final part of the board is the end game, the retirement village in life, if you will. When they get closer and closer to this final stage, I need you to listen closely to them, hearken to their words, and if you've played your cards right, they will be looking back on their own progression through this game and trying to discern some meaning from it. None of them will guess that it was you guiding them along. But that's not the point. The point is in their justification, in the words they use to make themselves and their family think that the game was, well, just more than it was. A saga, an adventure, a story. Once you have their interpretation, write it down. Then kill them and start with a new piece. By the time the game ends, we'll all have amassed a number of these, uh, Final statements. We'll compare them, and the player with the best collection wins. It's, uh, as simple as that. Uh, what was that? When does the game end? <laughs> uh, I thought that was obvious. It ends when the pieces tear the board apart. We've all heard about people who decide to have some fun with their friends as they try to delve into the dark arts with things like seances and Ouija boards. Just innocent fun, right? Well, don't tell that to author Chris Allenot. You see, in this tale, we meet a woman who has decided to bring a somewhat unique item to their Erzot's seance, a crystal ball. Performing this tale is Mary Murphy. So look deep inside if you want to plumb the depths of the darkness. Just make sure you're not looking into frosted glass.
I held the glass ball up to the light again, as if this time it would reveal its secrets. Light penetrated and made it glow, but I couldn't make out the thing inside. There was a crescent-shaped spot that looked like brown fluff, but it was like trying to see through a steamed-up shower door. I sighed and put it down. Maybe one of my friends would figure it out later. When I purchased the glass globe earlier in the day, I'd been on the hunt for a real crystal ball to bring to girls' night. We'd all agreed that holding a seance sounded like a lot of fun. And a crystal ball had seemed so much more original than showing up with a Walmart Ouija board. The globe I'd selected was on a high shelf near the front of the occult shop. It had been hard to make out. The light from the front window was mostly obscured by the for sale sign. On top of that, the teenager at the till seemed loath to part with it, saying, I don't know if that's actually for sale. There's something about that thing. I'd better call my grandma and ask. I kept adding twenties to the counter until the ball was mine. A real crystal ball from a real occult store with a real mystery to it. Amazing. But what the hell was that weird patch? I folded up my jacket and placed the ball gently on top. The swatch of brown was still pressed close against the glass. I rotated the ball and the patch rotated with it. I leaned in closer and realized that it was definitely fur of some kind. What are you? I ran my fingers across the glass. It had a pleasant, matte feeling, and I kept stroking it. At the touch of my hand, the ball shimmered in the reflected light from the chandelier, and the fog seemed to retreat, forming a thick, swirling cloud within. The patch of fur resolved into something that looked a little like an ape, except that it stood erect. It wasn't a man or a monkey, but something in between. There was a tiny thump as the monkey thing pressed its hands to glass. I woke it up. I leaned in to take a closer look. It pressed its own face close to mine. I could make out ruddy, taut skin, hollow eyes, and a leering grin. It saw me. The hands disappeared from the glass, and the figure began to dance a bizarre, manic little jig. I picked up the ball, transfixed. The thing reacted to my touch by increasing its pace, hopping and spinning like a top until it ended up in a vaudevillian ta-da flourish. I smiled. Forget the seance. This would blow the girls' minds. Its performance done, the creature vanished backwards into the cloudy murk. When it returned, another figure had joined it. This one was hairless and seemed, from the riot of different colored blobs on its body, that it was meant to be a clown. From its movements, though, it didn't seem to have the same good humor as its furry companion. Sitting at the dining room table now, I watched as the first little monster prodded the second with its foot. Eventually, the second little man, or whatever it was, began to dance. It was a pathetic imitation of the former performance. Slow, jerky, full of something like pathos. I blinked and felt tears at the corners of my eyes. I brought the ball up closer, cradling it in my hands, trying to see more, more, more. The clown staggered slightly as the ball moved, but quickly regained its balance and stood still. 
watching me. It raised its arms in supplication, silently pleading, shoulders hitching up and down, crying. Why is it crying? The monkey man suddenly re-emerged behind the clown. It was an indistinct brown blob in the mist, but it looked like it had something in its hands. A stick, maybe, or with a sickening thud. The clown's head was thrown forward and smacked hard into the glass. It staggered to the side, holding its face and leaving a red stain on the inside of the globe. The monkey thing went berserk. It swung the club again and again. Blood spattered the inside of the glass with each hit. The sounds were too loud. They seemed to echo inside my head. After a dozen savage blows, the little monster finally stopped. It kicked the ruined clown in the face, then stepped up on top of it. It gave another flourishing bow. Ta-da! An instant later, the entire surface of the glass was filled up with the demonic black eye of the beast. It was staring directly at me, seeing me, hating me. I screamed. I dropped the ball to the floor, where it broke with a dull crack. The ball became completely clear as its contents flooded out. The dining room began to fill with white, choking fog. It became harder to see and harder to breathe. Where was the creature? I cast my gaze around, desperate to locate the fucking thing in a sea of fog. Nothing. The fog seemed to be inside my head then and the world swam out of focus before going dark. When I woke, the world was white. I was alone, resting on a cold, hard floor, surrounded by the same choking miasma that had knocked me out. I tried to get up, but stumbled and fell face-first back to the ground. I rolled over and sat up, noticing the blood-red clown shoes on my feet. Somewhere behind me, music began. Earlier, it hadn't traveled through the glass. But here, there was the unmistakable rise and fall of Calliope. Behind that, I heard movement, accompanied by breathy, chattering monkey sounds, and knew it was coming closer, coming to say hello, coming to dance. In the 1950s, when kids weren't home watching TV, they often engaged in that most wholesome of entertaining pastimes, a double date at the movies. And in this tale from author M.J. Pack, we meet two couples in present day who are doing just that. At least that's what it seems, until the guys decide to switch things up and investigate a local urban legend. Performing this tale are Nicole Goodnight, Sarah Thomas, Graham Rowett, Dan Zapula, and Aaron Lillis. So make sure your double dates involve popcorn, soda, and cuddling in front of the big screen. 
it's far safer than making your way to Bubblehead Road. I got the first idea something was wrong when Mark wouldn't tell us what movie we were going to see. We're seeing Manhattan, right babe? Barbara flipped down the passenger side mirror to check her hair. I love that Woody Allen. He just seems so smart. You wouldn't know smart if it bit you in the ass. I hated it when he talked to her like that, but Barb just gave him a baby girl pouty face. Don't be mean, babe. It's date night. I mean, it's not like I want smart to bite you in the ass. (laughs) Mark chuckled a little at his own cleverness. (laughs) I like your ass just the way it is. Cute and dumb. Barb wasn't dumb. Not really. But she went back to checking her hair as if he hadn't said anything at all. I turned from my spot in the backseat of Mark's car to check the position of the sun on the horizon. It was getting dark. Nearly past dusk, and I didn't really recognize where we were. Mark was Dennis's friend, not mine, and kind of slimy, so you can see why I'd be a little worried. Where are we going? I asked Dennis. He shot me a grin and put a hand on my knee, jiggling it back and forth in a way that was meant to loosen me up. The movies, hun. No, I... I know that. I was making a real effort not to sound scared or naggy, but Mark was driving down this dark road I didn't know. Way too many trees around for us to be going to the movie theater in town. Maybe we were going to a drive-in I didn't know about. To see Manhattan. Right, babe? What movie are we seeing? I asked Dennis, ignoring her. Don't get your panties in a twist, Pammy. Dan, tell your chick to chill. I didn't trust Mark as far as I could have thrown him, but I trusted Dennis. So I put my hand over the one on my knee and made earnest eye contact with my boyfriend. Dennis, we're going to the movies, right? We'd been dating since sophomore year. We'd lost it to each other at prom... I knew him more than I knew any other person on the planet. And that's why I was able to see in that moment that he didn't want to lie to me anymore. He started to, I think, but I gave his hand a little squeeze and he cracked. Mark, we can tell him now, can't we? I pushed his hand off my knee. Tell us what? We made a left onto a road going into the woods, leaving behind the main road and I twisted in my seat to sneak another look at the sun as it set. We'd better not be seeing that movie, The Dark. Barbara was reapplying her lipstick now. Looks like alien horror bullshit. Plus, I hate scary stuff. You're not gonna be too happy with me then, babe. (laughs) Mark snickered as he flicked on his headlights. Dennis, tell me what the hell we're doing. It was darker in here now that the thick-leaved trees were blotting out the last rays of the dying sun, and I was starting to get nervous. Barbara flipped up the mirror, tucking her lipstick back into her purse, and looked around as though she'd only just noticed where we were. 
Hey, you fucker. If you think I'm gonna do it in a creepy old place like this, you're crazy. She turned around to see me. Where are we, Pam? Ask your dumbass boyfriend. He's the one driving. Pam. Dennis reached for me again, but I shrunk away from him against the car door. I had no interest in his hand on my knee at that moment. All I wanted to do was go home. Mark, tell us where we're going, or I swear to God, I won't put out until after graduation. Barb emphasized this by crossing both her arms and her legs. Mark sighed and slowed the car to a stop, leaving the ignition running. Okay. Jesus Christ, woman. He turned to face both Barb and the two of us in the back seat. We're going to Bubblehead Road. It won't be that long, and then we'll go see a fucking movie. Any fucking movie you ladies want. Okay? How's that sound? Take me home. If we hadn't already driven a mile or two deep in the woods, I would have gotten out right then and there. Pam, it's not going to be anything bad, I promise. You know what they say about that place. It's, it's fucking haunted. Or worse. Oh, it's way worse than that. You fuck! Barb picked her purse up off the floor and hit him half-heartedly in the shoulder with it. I told you I hate scary shit. You heard Pam. Take us home. So you're saying you don't know the legend of Bubblehead Road? Mark raised his eyebrows at us. I don't care about any legend of anything. I want to go see Manhattan. Dennis put a tentative arm around me. I didn't move out of it, mostly because I was preoccupied by the fact we were in the woods where the light was quickly fading and I just wanted to go somewhere else. Pam, listen. Some of the guys on the football team, they gave us this stupid dare and we needed you to see us do it. They won't believe us if we said we did. We'll be in and out, I promise. I would have just lied for you. Yeah, but you're a terrible liar. He smiled at me. That smile that still made my stomach do acrobatics and wiggled a playful finger in my side. <laughs> I laughed despite myself. What stupid shit did you two get yourselves into? It's easy peasy, baby. Mark reached towards her so he could play with her long brown hair. We go to the house at the end of Bubblehead Road, touch the front door, and leave. That's it. You two sexy ladies use this. He picked up a Polaroid camera from the floor near his feet and dumped it unceremoniously in Barb's lap. Snap a pic for proof, and all the guys owe us beer on graduation night. Let's get this over with. Barb! I tried to lean towards her and Dennis pulled me back into his arms. What? Let them do their stupid thing and then we can go to the movies, like Mark said. She tossed her hair back, picked up the camera. But you're buying me popcorn, and soda, and any candy I want. Sure thing, babe. Grinning, Mark put the car into gear and we continued along the road. Bubblehead Road. 
I didn't agree to this. You're a real jerk for making me go along, you know, and not even telling me. I heard this place is dangerous. I'm sorry. But Mark's eyes were on me in the rearview mirror. What exactly did you hear, Pammy? I fucking hated it when he called me Pammy. I heard they took drugs. Everybody in the family. They didn't have much money, so the government made them guinea pigs for cash, and their heads got huge. Barb demonstrated this by miming an explosion over her skull. When it went wrong, they got dropped out here so they couldn't tell anyone else. Government paid them off. Right, babe? You're stupid, babe. I heard they were just inbred hillbillies. They settled out here when they were pioneers and only married each other for years and years and years, and now they're all... Dennis searched for the word, didn't find it, and shrugged. Fucked up, I guess. Big heads, right? Barb twisted in her seat again to look at us. I could see the dying light of the day reflected in her shiny lipstick. Yeah, big heads. Bubble heads is what they call them. I heard they eat people. Oh, Jesus, Mark, that's disgusting! She swatted his shoulder lightly. I wanted to sock him in the mouth. It doesn't matter what I heard. It's getting dark, and we're driving down this shitty road, and it's... We don't know what's out there, Dennis. All this for a few beers? There's probably nothing, Pam. Dennis assured me with a little squeeze of my shoulders. And what's with these signs, huh? Mark pointed out a crooked sign we were passing that read in big, black letters, No Trespassing. Probably to keep out idiots like you. Your chick, Dan. Beyond him, I could see the snaking stretch of road disappearing as it bent first one way, then another. The trees were getting thicker, and it was getting darker, and I couldn't believe my normally sweet, smart boyfriend was making me do this. Hey, he's right. There's another one. And another. And another. The four of us lapsed into silence as we passed sign after sign bearing the same threatening message over and over. No trespassing. Private property. Notice, trespassing absolutely forbidden. Keep out. No trespassing. I counted nine of them. Yeah, that means someone definitely doesn't fucking want us out here, so please turn around and let's go home. We're almost there, Pammy. Jesus. Mark's eyes met mine again in the rearview mirror. I wanted to rile you girls up a little bit, but come on. You know there's nothing out here. It's just a bunch of made-up bullshit. We'll be in and a- Stop! The car lurched as Mark slammed on the brakes. Have a nice scream. Dennis threw a protective arm across my chest to stop me from flying forward. A moment of silence went by until Mark turned on Barbara. What the fuck, Barb? You trying to get us killed? Why don't you watch the road, you stupid fuck? Something ran in front of the car. You almost hit it. What was it? I looked out my window but didn't see anything. 
just trees, and I'd be damned if I was going to roll it down to the carter. I... I don't know. It, it moved so fast. It was just this dark shape. Her pretty face began to twist like she was about to cry. I changed my mind, Mark. I want to go home. Look, we're already here. Mark pointed at a white house just beyond the little stone bridge we were stalled at. It looked like a two-story farmhouse, but small. Neat. Kind of like a dollhouse I once had when I was a kid. A large, double-level deck jutted from one side, a garage from another. White slats, blue shutters, pokey little spiked fence. There wasn't anything wrong about it, nothing inherently creepy, but I still wanted to turn around and make the winding trip right back out of the forest before we lost the light completely. See? Dennis gave my leg a comforting squeeze. We'll be able to make the nine o'clock movie. Promise. We were already there. I couldn't say no. I couldn't make them stop. Okay. Just go. Mark stepped on the gas again and we crossed the bridge, his headlights flooding the front yard and bringing everything to a brilliant contrast. Mark did, and then turned around. You ready, Den? Yeah. Dennis glanced at me and smiled. It was supposed to be a smile that said, Hey, everything's fine, but he looked nervous. You girls stay in the car. Just take the picture when we get to the door, and we'll be right back. I tried to return a smile. I get the feeling mine didn't look too good either. The guys hopped out of the car, shutting their doors quietly behind them. They left the engine running. Boys are so stupid. She watched Mark approach the house with nervous eyes. She was chewing on her lip, and... I don't think she knew it. The camera was poised, ready to snap the photo. Yeah. I agreed. I turned my own nervous eyes to Dennis, who was further ahead than Mark. They were almost to the door, ready to touch it when it swung open. Oh shit! Oh god! Barb was getting out of the car. Barb was getting out of the car! But she was already gone, camera forgotten, running like an idiot towards her equally idiotic boyfriend who'd gotten us in this mess. For a moment, my lizard braid insisted I get in the front and drive away. Sometimes your lizard brain knows what it's doing. I hesitated, then got out of the car too, hoping I'd see all three of them just standing there, safe and sound. And there they were. They were actually just standing there together at the front door of the little white house, talking to a very normal-looking woman. I blinked a few times to be sure this was what I was seeing before walking towards the house, the car rumbling its engine behind me. We're really sorry. You're kids. The woman wiped her hands on her apron. 
She was plain-faced, but smiling, and well, that was good. Kids get up to all sorts of shenanigans, especially right before summer. Like something gets inside of them and makes them crazy. She turned her smile on me as I approached. Hello, you with these ones? I am... When I was by his side, I grabbed Dennis's hand, hard, believed everything was okay and furious with him all at once. Uh, pretty girls. I never had no girls, just boys. You girls keeping these boys in line? Apparently not very well. <laughs> uh, we're so sorry. We didn't mean to trespass. We were just... Oh, they already told me. She put her hand on her hips in a way that reminded me of my own mother when she had reached the end of her patience. Silly stories. Aren't you too old for stories? Yes, ma'am. The woman turned her smile on him and it grew warmer. Parents like Dennis. And we'll be going now. Get out of your hair. Yeah, sorry. No worry. She waved a hand at us. Oh, you didn't cause any trouble. At least had your music down. Can't tell you how often I come out here to god-awful noise, devil rock music, and screeching tires. You all have the sense to be quiet about it. We won't bother you again. I tugged on Dennis's arm to show him we should get the hell out of there while the getting was good. It's getting dark, but it was nice meeting you. Just tell those other kids that you didn't find nothing. The less of you out here, the better. You got it. Barb was also pulling on Mark, trying to make him move, but he was still standing there like he had missed something. Now. Finally, he turned away from the little white house. When we were all in the car, I started laughing. Not quite hysterically, but in that scary way when you're not sure you can stop. Just a nice lady. <laughs> a, a, a nice lady in an apron. <laughs> you, you guys had me scared shitless. <laughs> when the door opened, I thought you were going to die. Barb's eyes were wide and serious. She's watching us. We looked at the house, a good distance away now that we were in the car, and saw Mark was right. The woman was standing in the doorway, not much more than a silhouette from where we sat, but definitely watching. She wants to make sure we're leaving, asshole. Let's go! Dennis was embarrassed, I could tell. I rubbed my palm over his back in soothing little circles. We didn't touch the door. Mark was trying to turn the car around with what little room he had on the stone bridge. We didn't get a picture. You left the camera here. Who gives a shit? Barb regarded him for a moment with obvious distaste before folding her arms and looking out the window. <sighs> Forget the movie. Just take me home. If you're gonna be a bitch about it... Just take her home, Mark. Guys, please... I have a headache. Let's just... Then we heard it. 
a high warbling sound piercing through our argument. It sounded like a mix between a cat's yowl and a child crying owl. Plaintive. Keening. Otherworldly. We sat in stunned silence. What the fuck was... Go, Mark! Mark turned to look at Dennis, eyes wild. I told you there was something out here, man. Look, she went inside. Let's just go back and see what it is. Why the fuck would I want to see what it is? Okay, screw you then. I'll go do it. Mark opened his car door and hopped out. Barb made a strangled little sound of protest but didn't move. Take the picture, Barb. It's too dark. The howl came again. It was nothing I'd ever heard before, terrible and yet somehow melodic, like the way the sirens must have sounded to Greek sailors. Venice? I know, I know. He craned his neck trying to catch a glimpse of Mark through the rear window as he walked back towards the White House. That stupid shit. The three of us waited. Mark's car idling beneath us as we held our breath. After what seemed like an eternity, I heard Mark scream. Dennis was out of the car in a flash, running toward the sound of his friend's cry for help. Barbara started weeping. he's fine. I was trying to see where they both were. Dennis was a vague blurry form in the quickly darkening dusk. Mark was nowhere to be seen. Suddenly, unexplainably, I heard Mark laughing. Barb and I looked at each other, made equals in our confusion. His laughing went on and on and for a manic moment, I thought he'd gone mad, but then I heard him yell. Uh, it's a stupid bird! A dumb fucking bird! I got out of the car, moving quickly towards where I saw them hunched over, about 15 feet away from the house. What's going on? Mark kicked a bird. As I got closer, I saw it. The thing sprawled out on the ground near Mark's feet. It looked like a turkey until I saw that it wasn't a turkey. Not at all, it was something far grander than that. Something shimmering with iridescent colors and thick, luxurious feathers. Its long, elegant neck was stretched out in an expression of delicate surrender, as though it were saying, Yes, you've won. Lay your weapons down. I stared at it, those little flourishes on its head and the larger one on its room. Mark, you killed a peacock. No way. Dennis crept closer and squinted in the dusk's low light. She's right, man. It's a fucking peacock. He turned back to us, a baffled expression on his face. Where did this thing come from? Almost as if on cue, we heard a more subdued version of the alien howl that had startled us in the car. 
a gentle you, you, you sound. Like they knew one of their own had been murdered in cold blood. Is this a peacock farm? A chorus of strange coos seemed to answer my question. Maybe that's what ran in front of the car. Dennis looked around, squinting, trying to see the other peacocks in the fast-waning light. You didn't have to kill it, man. So what? It attacked me. What the fuck was I supposed to... And above the killing, the plaintive mourning of birds in a foreign tongue, another sound interrupted him. A soft, hiccuping sort of cry. It was quiet, but powerful. The kind of crying you do alone in your bedroom when you know someone's just outside and you can't break quite yet. Is that Barb? Mark was already backing away. I don't think so. I felt stuck to the earth where I stood. To move, I thought, would mean my certain death. From beneath the steps of the little white farmhouse, a figure emerged, creeping on all fours towards us. It was small but gangly, limbs hanging limply as it crawled along the grass. Its head was huge. Around where the jaw must have been was normal, sure, but from there it ballooned up, swollen like a ripe harvest pumpkin. It was weeping. Mark kept backing away. I could hear sticks snapping beneath his feet as he went. I didn't need the suggestion. I couldn't have moved if I'd been ordered to. I was paralyzed with fright. Surely I'd read that somewhere before and thought it's some kind of flowery metaphor, but it was true. You could be so scared that fear froze you in position like a fast-acting toxin. The shadow crept closer, nearly to us now, and in the last shreds of the day's light, I could see it was a boy. Little boy. Maybe only ten or eleven. His head was grotesquely formed, yes, but his face was just a boy's face streaked with tears. I noticed with dull fascination that he was wearing a little button-up sweater over corduroys. A snappy little ensemble, to say the least. His knees were grass-stained. The three of us stared at him as he tenderly lifted the limp peacock from the ground. He sat on his haunches, rocking slightly back and forth, and began to cry harder. He pulled the dead bird to his chest and wailed helplessly. You killed his pet, Mark? I swallowed back my own tears. It attacked me! Mark was coming closer now. I could hear him as he approached me from behind. I turned on him furiously, the panic lifting at last. Tell him you're sorry. It attacked me. But he wasn't really hearing me. He was staring at the little boy as he rocked on his heels and wept for his lost friend. I couldn't stand it anymore, watching him cry like that. Very slowly, I approached the boy, carefully as if he were a butterfly that could be startled and flutter away. 
When I was close enough, I dropped her name. We're very sorry about your bird. He didn't look at me, but I saw his hand sink deeper into the iridescent blue-green feathers as he hugged it. Hard. Do you want us to talk to your mom? I looked at Dennis and shrugged, hoping I was right and the plain-faced woman we met earlier was the boy's mother. You can talk to her if you want. Fuck that. I'm getting out of here. Then Mark snapped his fingers. A camera! Oh shit, I'm getting a picture of this freak. Mark? I snapped my head up to look at him, but he was already gone, running back to the car for his Polaroid. This was enough, more than enough, and I wouldn't let it happen. I'd let too much happen already. Dennis, do not let him take a picture. I am so goddamn serious. Dennis nodded and headed off in Mark's direction. I looked back and found the little boy watching me with wet brown eyes. His cries had tapered to sad sniffles, but he was still rocking back and forth. On impulse, I placed my hand gently on his little sweatered shoulder. I'm sure he was a good bird. He gave a shuddering sigh and nodded. I tried to smile. There was a hot lump in my throat and I forced it down. It, it was like swallowing a rock. All this? For a few beers? For a moment, I didn't say anything. I just let him sit there, my hand on his shoulder, his dead peacock in his lap, trying to make sense of what this loss meant. What it could possibly mean that the bird wasn't moving and would never move again. Never make its alien you, you, you sound that was probably music to this little boy's ears. Then I heard footsteps. Mark was coming back, Dennis on his heels. I said no way. Shut the fuck up. This is ten times better than a stupid picture of us touching the door. Mark trotted up and towered over me, the Polaroid camera in his hands. Move, Pammy. I'm gonna snap a pic of the bubble head. I let go of the boy's shoulder, who was staring up at Mark with an expression of fear and confusion to turn and block him from the view. You are not taking a picture of him so you could show it off to your locker room buddies. You already killed his pet, Mark. Just leave him alone. Pammy, I've about had it with your smart mouth tonight. If Dennis won't shut you up, then I will. Move your ass! Ah! I began to straighten with the intent of taking the camera away from him when he shot a hand out and shoved me. Hard. Caught off guard and off balance, I went tumbling backwards into the little boy and his bird. It all happened very fast. Dennis grabbed Mark by the collar of his shirt and began to wrestle with him, trying to get Mark's head into a chokehold. Mark dropped the camera, it went off with a flash and a mechanical whirring noise. For an instant, we were all painted in a brilliant white light, a terrible portrait of grimaced, ugly faces. I yelled a wordless sound as I hit the ground. The little boy began to really sob now, heavy piercing cries that bordered on screams. I turned on my hands and knees to make sure he was all right. He looked okay, the bird 
looked okay, although still very dead, but before I could say something to make him calm down, a cracking report sliced through everything else. Ears ringing, I whipped around to see the woman. The same plain-faced woman who turned us away with a smile and a kind admonition, standing on the steps of her house, double-barreled shotgun in hand. She wasn't smiling now. Her eyes were wild, the eyes of a mad grizzly bear protecting its cub. She cocked the shotgun, sending the spent shells flying, and leveled it at her shoulder. It all came together at once in that terrifying way when your brain works faster than you thought possible. Or perhaps you have your lizard brain to thank. This was the boy's mother. She was not as she seemed. And we only got one warning shot. Run! I struggled to my feet. Dennis released Mark and bolted towards the car. I could hear Barb inside screaming. I lost my footing briefly, but soon I was on my way, too. I looked over my shoulder to see Mark on his hands and knees. I wasn't sure if Dennis had left him that way until I saw that Mark was grabbing for the camera. Leave it! I was halfway to the car. Mark heard me and looked up. Maybe that's what did it. Maybe that's all it took, that one second of hesitation. The woman took aim and fired the shotgun again. Mark screamed in agony, crumpling over the Polaroid on the lawn in front of the small white house that was getting smaller as I ran. He was clutching his leg, still screaming, when I heard the woman bellow. I didn't know what that meant, and I had no intention of sticking around to find out. We scrambled to the car, Dennis in the driver's seat, me in the back, Barb still wailing in the passenger seat. Drive, Dennis. I twisted in my seat to look through the back window. Mark was still on the ground, grabbing his buckshot leg, screaming either in pain or for us to come back. I was still watching him, my heart hammering in my ears, face hot with the rush of panic blood when I saw them come out of the woods. Some of them had no legs and dragged themselves along the grass with thick, muscular forearms. Some had uneven limbs that swung back and forth as they lumbered across the lawn. Some had the same huge head I'd seen on the little boy, swollen to near impossible sizes. They descended upon Mark, and the screaming evolved into something beyond screams. A strangled, tangled noise of pure animal panic and pain. Barb heard this, did not see it and began making the same shrill cry over and over like a dog that's been kicked. Go, 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 for the love of fucking God, Dennis, just drive. Dennis stomped on the gas. We were mostly turned back around towards the road, but he had to do some maneuvering to get us pointed the right way on that little stone bridge. While he did, Barb screamed, and I pounded the passenger side window, urging him to hurry, hurry, please fucking hurry. 
gravel spat out from under our tires when he finally got us straight. There was a squeal of burning rubber, and then we were off, barreling down the narrow, winding road at breakneck speed. going fast. Too fast. Each turn was nearly a miss, the car threatening to spin off the road or flip end over end. I kept looking through the back window to see if they'd followed us. I was sobbing uncontrollably, but Lizard Brain was in charge by then, and it was almost like I was out of my body, regarding the situation with a sort of cool detachment. If we could get out the woods, if they didn't follow us, everything would be okay. We were nearly there. The trees were beginning to clear. I think we lost them. Just then I heard the sound of crunching metal and Dennis screaming. I rolled around to see one of them on the hood of the car. Like the boy's big brother with an enormous, grotesque head of his own. And I had only time to see two things before he began to bash the windshield with both fists. He was grinning, and he was wearing quarterlies. Dennis turned the wheel wildly from side to side, trying to shake the man off the hood, but it was no use. He was incredibly strong and well-planted, using his ropey, muscled arms to smash again and again causing the glass to splinter and crack beneath him. Suddenly, I felt my whole body seize forward. The bolt of pain went through my neck like nothing I'd ever felt before, and in the midst of Dennis and Barb's screams, everything went black. I don't know how long I was out. When I woke up, it was still dark. My entire body ached unbearably. When I could force myself to sit forward, wiping the dried blood from my eyes, I saw what had happened. I remembered everything all at once. Bubblehead Road. The dead peacock, the little boy, Mark, that idiot going back for the camera. The car had crashed headlong into the trunk of a huge old tree. In the front seat, Dennis and Barb were unnervingly still. Before I could lean forward to check on them further, I heard a rustling in the woods outside the shattered passenger window. Gingerly, I turned my head to see what it was, fearing more of the brothers. It was the little boy, creeping along in his corduroy pants. The look on his face, his tiny face, the miserable eyes beneath the bulging head, I'll... I'll never forget it. He didn't speak, but I could almost hear him saying, This is what happens. Not an accusation, not a threat, just a sad, simple statement. This is what happens. Suddenly his face was awash with lights of red and blue. His eyes widened and he began to scamper away, then thought better of it. He hurried to the car and dropped something in my lap through the devastated remains of the passenger window. Then he was gone. Scuttling away into the woods, back to his mother's house where his dead bird was waiting to be buried. 
I tucked what he'd given me into my pocket as the lights got brighter and I started to lose consciousness. When the darkness crept into the corners of my vision, I had enough time to hear, stay calm, miss, don't move. And then I was gone again. I spent three weeks in the hospital, first for the car crash injuries, then because I'd been babbling after my surgery about monsters in the woods. They kept me for psychiatric evaluation, but by then I'd learned to keep my mouth shut and was soon approved for release. There was a memorial at school for Dennis, Barb, and Mark. I didn't go. I couldn't bear the talking, the rumors, the classmates whispering about how when they'd found Mark's body, it was little more than shredded meat and bone. Attacked by a mountain lion, some said. But others said much worse because it was truth, and they didn't even know it. As for what the boy gave me, I don't know where it went. Maybe when they stripped me in the ambulance, someone saw it and threw it out. Maybe they thought it was a prank. Or when they saw it, they couldn't reconcile with themselves what it really was, so it had to be destroyed. Maybe the government has it. I don't know. But I wish I still had it. Because the boy meant for me to. It was meant as a warning. A permanent reminder of what monstrous things we can do when we don't know how our actions can hurt others. Setting in motion a terrible domino effect that leaves the lives of those involved forever damaged beyond repair. So every day I try to picture in my mind, keep the image sharp and crisp to honor what that little big-headed boy tried to teach me on an early spring night in 1979. A Polaroid of me as I fell backwards, pushed by Mark in an attempt to get his prized shot. I'm drenched in white light. My teeth are pulled back in a grimacing sneer. My hands, windmilling as I tried to stop myself from falling, look like claws. My long, dark hair is fanned around my head in a grotesque halo. Behind me, clutching his dead bird, just about to start wailing, is the little boy. He's looking right at me. He's absolutely terrified. Because I look like a monster. We've already learned about the fun of board games and gathering with friends to enjoy them. We're certainly not going to insist on presenting the dark side of such fun activities, are we? Well, don't blame us. Blame author Paul O'Neill. You see, in this tale, we meet a man trying to conjure some happy memories with an old board game. Ah, it couldn't hurt, right? 
performing this tale are Andy Cresswell, Penny Scott Andrews, Erica Sanderson, David Alt, and James Cleveland. So gather round and let's play a game. Imagine how much fun you'll have playing The Shatterbox. A knot of emotion almost screamed its way out of my lungs as I shifted my legs under me, my thigh muscles quivering. The hardened blood on my hands cracked in the creases of my palm as I rolled my fingers. An invisible force held us down, not allowing us to move from our spots as the ancient board game demanded we hurt someone. Four of us knelt around the coffee table as a misty darkness drew nearer with every roll of the die, blotting out the world. It was just us and the game. I looked at the empty space where Craig once sat. His playing piece lay toppled over on the table. He'd ran into the darkness, screaming that he couldn't take it anymore. I could still hear the wet noise of some alien thing ripping him to pieces. In the silence that had followed, I leaned back and stuck my hand into the dark, jerking it back as a hundred moist hands swarmed over my forearm, trying to pull me in. Diana and I had a cracker of an argument yesterday. I'd stormed out for a stroll to clear my head. I found myself in the middle of a garage sale when this game, this shatterbox, caught my eye with its glaring neon letters. I asked the old man how much it was. He threw it at me and weaseled into his car like it was the only thing he came to sell. Later, I realized I hadn't given him any money for it. The objective of the game seemed simple enough. The first one to move their piece around the snaking path and into the see-through cube that was arched on the center wins. The board was a long rectangular box that covered most of the coffee table we were huddled around. Brown felt fuzzed at its edges. When I traced my finger along it, I swore I felt it breathing, like I stroked the pelt of a slumbering bear. The squares our pieces moved along were once white, but now shone with a splattered maroon that reminded me of dried blood on bathroom tiles. The path wove around the outside of the board, spiraling in on itself until it ended at the cube that sat on its center like a gemstone. Its old wood smell that reminded me of teak benches in church hit me as I gazed at the electric words that swam inside the cube. Roll the die. I told you not to open that box. Diana, my wife, sobbed, glaring over the knee-high table at me with haunted eyes. But you had to, didn't you, Dan? She tucked a strand of black hair behind an ear, a gesture I'd smiled at a million times before. Her fingers touched the ruined blob of waxwork that used to be her ear. She flinched and sucked in a shaky breath, knuckling her eye and willing the pain away. It was supposed to be a bit of fun, like when we used to play that atmosphere game with those creepy videos. 
How was I supposed to know it'd end up like this? Craig's gone. Got that? Slashed up like a damn horror flick. That's an alien conspiracy. Pauline clutched her side with both hands like her innards would worm out of her. Spaceships sucked us up and now they're toying with us. Testing us. Only explanation. Shut your hole, you stupid woman. Tam, to my left, thumbed the screen on his phone. Dan's just having a laugh with us. Couldn't take the fact that the rest of us are off having kids, so you thought you'd plot a wee bit of revenge. Boil us up a bit because you're jealous. He slammed the phone on the table. Whatever this black thing hovering about us is, it's royally messed my phone. The game clicked. A low hum shook the chest-like pieces, a noise that set my nerves slithering around the back of my neck. I picked up the die with its eight uneven sides, wrapping my trembling fingers around it. We just keep playing the game. That it? We don't try to get help or... You heard what it did to Craig. We fell into a stony silence. The only sounds were the wincing from pain and a buzz like a swarm of wasps that rose in pitch vibrating inside my skull. I don't want to find out what happens when we run out of time. I shook the die, its chipped edges scratching my palm. Its marble surface stayed cold no matter how long I held onto it. A shard of ice anchored at the base of my throat upon glimpsing the venom in Diana's perfect blue eyes. I steamed out a sour breath, then sent the heavy die clinking along the wooden board. The green words faded from the cube as the die spun and clattered about. We all held our breath. A crimson four landed face up. Diana, Tam and Pauline turned to face me, mouths hanging open. The playing pieces were intricately carved. They reminded me of knights on an ornate chess set, though their faces were hidden behind scowling masks. Each had a different colour that flowered out the carved slits of its eyes and the square holes that ran along its mouth. The masks made me think of Hannibal Lecter, though there was something sleek and alien about their edges. My piece pulsed a violent red. I gripped it between my fingers. A small river of electricity shot up my forearm as I moved it around the path. The piece was wooden, but there was a crisp texture covering it that felt like dead snakeskin. Touching it froze the lining of my stomach. My hand trembled as I settled back on the carpet, sucking in a lungful of humid, sweat-stained air. Diana glared at the middle of the board game, her face scrunched up as red letters swam in the glassy cube. A command would often appear after we finished our turn. What's it say? Tam leaned over the board. Ha! <laughs> A sharp laugh blasting out of his rubbery mouth as he read the flowing words. <laughs> right, just you try it, you lanky bastard. See what happens. A slab of meat cleaver phased to life on the table. I grabbed its warm, moist handle. I closed my eyes and leaned my forehead on my palm, 
the cold of the thick blade chilling my cheek. You've seen what happens. When you put it off, it only makes the punishment worse. Aye. Pauline twirled her long auburn hair between her fingers. It's alien mind control. Like when it told me to burn Diana's earlobe. I tried to hold off, but you saw what happened. It ticked down like some mad oven timer. When it buzzed, it was like the aliens just took my hand and made me do it. I'm sorry, Diana, right? My ass. Just because you chose to burn half her ear off doesn't mean it's aliens. All it means is you're in on whatever fuckery this is, and you're not chopping off my fucking thumbs. Diana glared down at her piece that glowed a sickly purple. I had tried to get to my feet, but my knees stayed glued to the carpet as Pauline stomped over to my wife, a small black lighter in her hand. A jet of fire like a flamethrower engulfed my wife's ear and most of her cheek. I could still taste the sizzled meat of her baked skin. The game paid double when you defied it. Take his thumbs, glared at me in murderous red letters, urging me on. Its cold light shone against the wet sores that seeped up the side of my wife's face. She flicked her gaze at me, her watery eyes trembling as she fought back the tears. She gave me a slow nod. Look, I can chop them off quick as you like, then we'll blast through the rest of the game. Once it's finished, we'll- I'd rather keep my thumbs, thank you very much. I'll wait. You can't hold me responsible for what happens. If you come at me with that cleaver, I'll chop your knob off. Got me? <laughs> Diana let out a mirthless exhalation. Doesn't work properly anyways. <laughs> Tam whooped a great belly laugh. I stared down at the game, shame billowing through me. I opened my mouth to spit something back at her, but slammed it shut. Our inability to produce a child had torn at each of us these last two years. We'd been trying for ages, smiling dutifully as our friends all announced their future offspring. I tried not to melt too much whenever we got the chance to hold them, but it only got harder. We were good at blaming each other, which was why I found myself wandering into that garage sale and bringing this hell-forsaken game back with me. Board games used to be our thing. Tonight was supposed to be about having fun and getting back to how we used to be. Tam feigned wiping the corners of his eyes as his laughter simmered down, then scooped up the die in a meaty fist. (laughs) Ah, That's a good one, Diana. Let's get this game done then, shall we? The die rolled, hitting the centre and making a hollow ding. Hmm, I never rolled a zero before. Something weird about that. Hey, maybe the game's having a dig at your balls, Dan. Big fat zero children for you two. (laughs) I tried to relax my grip of the cleaver to let it fall. But something made me hold its handle even tighter until my knuckles popped. You're not helping. Diana sprung over and yanked the cleaver out of my hand. She held the blade high, then spun, her hand outstretched as she swung a backhand slash. Hot, sticky blood splattered up my cheek. Tam gargled as he clutched the gaping wound along his throat, a red river sluicing over his fingers as he tried to catch the blood. 
I hacked up the contents of my lunch over my knees, staring down at the frothy mixture of beer and barbecue chicken. Tam worked his mouth, a nearly inaudible croak escaping him before his eyes rolled in the back of his head. He slumped to the floor, a final breath relaxing out of him. Pauline glanced at the wreck of our friend, his blood pulsing out onto the carpet. She picked up the die, rolled it, then clinked her piece seven times along the winding path. Diana, what? Maybe the last one standing wins, eh? Thought about that? Diana pointed the dripping cleaver at me, which fizzled out of existence. She stared at her empty hand, then sat on the floor, wiping her hand furiously on her jeans. Oh, do you know more than you're letting on? How many times? I don't know anything. Would you just help me out? I thought we were a team. We've not been a team for a long time. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, forget it. Hardly matters now. Pauline stared at the cube, a silent prayer on her sallow face. After a long moment, she breathed a hefty sigh. She leant over and handed Diana the dice. Roll. Diana cupped the die in her palm, then sobbed into it. We play as a team from now on, all right? I looked at my wife and then Pauline. Neither of them made eye contact. All right. Maybe she's right. It's like we're being tested to see who the strongest one is. We're just playthings to them. Diana threw the die. It rumbled across the table, coming to a stop in front of me. Five. Diana shook her head then picked up her piece. A low buzz emanated from somewhere inside the board, growing stronger, setting the fillings in my teeth on edge. I looked up, my balance wavering like I'd mistimed a step on a staircase. The darkness crept in closer. I was close to leaping into that blackness and into the clutches of whatever had ripped Craig to shreds. Oh, I guess that's not referring to Tam. I turned to ask what she meant when Diana's steely fist cracked my nose. My head jerked back, a tang of coppery blood cascading down my throat. Diana flicked her wrist and sat down. Through stinging eyes, I saw the fading words. Punch him. Didn't waste any time there, I said, the sound rumbling through my now thick nose. A trickle of blood swam down my nostril and onto my lip. I batted it away with the back of my hand, then wiped it on the carpet. Tam's cold, open eyes glared at me. We should move him. Feed him to the aliens, you mean? You want to leave him here to rot? Better than sending him into whatever's out there. Aliens, man. Delete his face. I know he was a bit of a prick, but still, it was Tam, you know. 
The board clicked impatiently. Liquid writing screamed the word, roll. I flung the die, rolling a six, holding my breath. No instructions appeared. At least Ronnie's at home with my sweet little Jeep. Pauline shook the die in a tight fist. Little guy picked the perfect night to have the shits. Do you think the aliens will let us go free when it's done? Well... No. No. We continued for an unknown time, the deep ammonia smell of urine stinging the air. The only things that changed were our positions on the board and the encroaching darkness. The game hurried us along with its ear-piercing clicks and buzzes. I leaned over the board to pick up the die when my hand exploded with red agony. The memory of Pauline driving a silver trident through the back of my hand made acid coil up the back of my throat. I picked up the die with my other hand. It rolled to a stop, inches from my wife. The harsh lights of the game blazing up her chin as the words formed. Tell her. Tell me what? Diana snapped her head up, blood trickling out her closed, swollen eye. I... I... Pauline leaned over and slapped a hand on the table to stop from fainting. She picked up the die, dropped it, then lifted it again. Her skin was yellow as a corpse as she broke down in her gentle way, calling her son's name over and over. She rolled a three and moved her piece along the snaking path that neared the glass dome, close to the end of the game. Tell me what, Dan? My mind slipped like a balloon on a thin string as my wife, my beautiful wife, stared at me over the evil board game her skin dripping with fever sweat. I don't know what... Don't. Don't even try that. We're in this together, right? That's what you said. Right. And it'll make you tell me anyway, right? My jaw wobbled as I stared into the hideous words on the cube that ruled our existence. The words tumbled out. I had an affair, a long one. Ashley at my work started as a bit of fun, got heavy. My jaw ached as I fought against the invisible fingers that pried my mouth open. She got pregnant, she got it taken care of. I... (gasps) Pauline sucked in a breath and covered her mouth as new words blazed from the cube. I couldn't bring myself to read them, not after taking a knife to my marriage. I'm so sorry. She didn't mean anything to me. Promise. I Don't give me that. At least we know which one of us is to blame for us not having kids. I looked over my shoulder and into the dark, willing myself to be anywhere but here. This was all my doing. I was responsible for the deaths of two close friends and for butchering my wife's heart. Dad! <gasps> the note of panic made me turn to face her. She stared at me as Pauline clawed at her own face, ghostly wails escaping her. Diana nodded down at the game. Jake is dead. No, no, it can't. 
It can't possibly have... <laughs> How do you know? Spittle hit my face. <laughs> my little cupcake dead. All because of you. Next time I get a short blade, it's coming straight for your fucking veins. Then I'm coming for the aliens that did this. She craned her neck, roaring at the blackness. <laughs> Do you hear that, you sick fucks? I'm coming to slice you up for even thinking about touching a hair on my superboy's head. Diana picked up the die. Quicker we finish, quicker we can check on Jay. Right? She flung the die, a four, and it clanked along the board. She handed me the die, the look in her eye telling me she'd forgotten all about my confession because her best friend needed her. It made me hate myself on a whole new plane. I rolled a two and went about the board. On the home stretch now, see? Just, what, 20 more steps until we reach the end and get out of here. It... The fiery words in the cube prickled my skin. Scalp the player to your left. <laughs> Pauline cried so hard into her hands that she struggled for breath, her long hair shaking over her face. Beside my leg, a drill clattered on the carpet. Only, it wasn't a drill exactly. It had a circle of serrated metal atop it. No! My hand moved toward the blue handle. Roll, Pauline, quick! Diana looked at me. A river of pain warped her face as she saw what I reached for. Pauline, come on. Jake is fine. How can the game possibly have him? How? I can feel it in my bones. I'll be seeing you soon, my little ginger snap. He's at home playing his Sega Wii or whatever the fuck he's always playing when I try to talk to him. We'll get out of this. You, me and shit cunt over there. And the other two? What about them, eh? A pulse tensed my hand, tightening my grip on the handle. The plastic creaked in my palm. We're only a few rolls away from finishing this thing. Pauline? Pauline, look at me. You need to roll the die. No. Pauline stared down at the floor. I can't. My finger twitched against the trigger. A high-pitched shrill sliced through the thick air between us. They both flinched, bodies leaning away from me, unable to get up and run. Pauline's shoulders slumped. It's all right, Dan. Honest. My finger tensed on the trigger, sending a deafening squeal into my brain like a dentist's drill rumbling in my gums. My hand raised itself into the air no matter how hard I pushed it down with my other hand. No! I heard myself repeat over and over as I moved steadily toward Pauline. It's all right. It'll be all right. Pauline lowered her head as if in prayer, presenting the crown of her head to me. Below the roar of the spinning blade, I heard her soft singing. Kittens and lollies and all things nice Shepherd from fairies and rolling the dice My sweet little angel, he comes to me 
Pauline! I was close enough to smell the coconut scent of her shampoo. Fight it then! Don't! Don't! No! The high-pitched whine lowered as the blade found hair and then went into her skin, blood spraying everywhere. The drill struggled as it bit into bone making a low, grinding noise that made me gag as I desperately tried to hold my hand still. Pauline shoved her head forward, the saw squealing and squelching as it sliced into the soft mass of her brain. A nightmarish wail escaped me as pieces of white meat blasted out of the coin slot hole I'd made. I let go of the trigger and fell back. I touched my mouth. Thick blood coated my bottom lip. Pauline's body slumped to the carpet, the drill sticking at the top of her head. I kicked at the floor, attempting to scuttle back into the damp blackness. No! Stay here and finish this, you bastard! With a sob, I watched my wife pick up the die. A scowl was etched on her face as she chucked it against the board, rolling a seven, her piece clinking around the squares, nearing the end. This is it. My thin voice scratched out of my throat like raw fire. Just needed two. (sighs) My wife exhaled. Her head hung so low, her forehead almost touched the table. You've said that every fucking turn. I... She clutched her ear, sucking in a pained breath through gritted teeth. We never get the number right. We'll keep going forwards and backwards forever. How much longer can we sit here and torture each other, Dan? My... She sobbed, holding it up. Her fingers bent like snapped twigs. Won't be using that anytime soon. Do you have to? My tongue touched the swelling gap where three teeth used to be. An explosion of white hot pain roared up my jaw. I closed my eyes, riding it out. You think I enjoyed mashing up your hand like that? It's never going to end, is it? I could still see her in there, beautiful beneath the blood and her swollen, pus-filled eye. She would have made a great mother. I scooped up the blood-stained eye. I love you. Fuck you, you brick! She let out a keening, agonised note, spittle running down her chin. Fuck you! We'll go back to how we used to be. We can have our family. Diana winced like every breath knifed her lungs. I closed my eyes and prayed. Two. 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 The die skittered along the board and swirled on the spot taking an age to settle. One. 
<laughs> least you're one step closer. That's progress, I suppose. She wiped her cheek with the back of her hand, leaving a trail of curdled yellow that made me think of custard. My playing piece shone its horrid red light, buzzing the skin on my fingertips as I lifted it and placed it one space in front of the cube that sparked to life. I wanted nothing more than to reach over and take my wife's hand as we waited on its next command. It'll be all right. Go back to the start. What? My heart thundered. What? No! No, it can't! Water stung my eyes as I stared at my wife, who looked like a deer trapped in headlights. That's not fair! No! The table shook, vibrating through my palms like an earthquake. Our two pieces exploded with colour as they slid backward, tiny squeals like fingers on clean glass as they snaked back to the start. The three dead playing pieces came back to life, joining ours, a rainbow of sharp colour lighting up the ancient board. My brain was on fire. I closed my eyes, a high-pitched screech reverberating around my skull. I caught the scent of woody aftershave. Craig knelt at the table, happily taking the spot next to my wife, his jolly smile shining from under his bushy beard. Whoa, why the long face, Dan? You're the one who wanted to have this game night. Let's just get pished instead. Nah, let's play. Pauline sat up from the floor where she'd fallen, the hole that I'd drilled into her skull gone. It'll be fun. Fine. Tam sighed, not taking his eyes from his phone as he sprung up next to me. Anybody know the rules? Diana's eye was healed, but twitching like it still caused her great pain. The darkness pulsed in around us, disintegrating our humble living room. I tried to stand my legs held by an unseen force. The pieces shone with a hideous light. (laughs) Diana let out a muffled sob. I can't. No! The swirl of letters screamed inside the cube. Roll. In our final tale, we engage in an activity unimaginable in the 1950s, but one which today can make a person long for pre-internet days. Yes, I'm talking about a company game night via Zoom. 
And in this tale, shared with us by author Lindsay Moore, we learn that the shenanigans of corporate life aren't soon forgotten, even when playing games most trivial. I join in the fun and games and perform this tale along with Jessica McAvoy, Matthew Bradford, Kristen DiMercurio, Wafia White, and Nicole Doolin. So adjust your webcam, make sure you've chosen a fun background, and get ready to play. After all, tonight is Trivia Night. Okay, everybody ready for trivia? Why am I talking? I'm the only one here. Oh, hey, Cindy. Hey, Dean. Man, I'm so glad this week is finally over. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Dean. Hey, Suzanne. Who else are we waiting for? Uh, Rashida, Martin, and Janine. That's it? I think Janine pinged a few folks in marketing and HR. You'll have to ask her when she logs on. Oh. I thought you were the one who organized Trivia Night, Dean. That Janine helped. It was a joint effort. Hey, everybody. What'd I miss? Nah, nothing yet. We're still waiting on Janine and Rashida. Hey, y'all. Hey, Rashida. Dean, how long does this run for? I have my book club tonight. I mean, I mean, we don't have a set time or anything like that. It's just a casual thing. Okay, cool. Who else are we waiting for? Just Janine. Well, oh, and here she is. Hey, Janine, how's it hanging? Dean, I'm doing just great. I'm thrilled to pieces that we're having trivia night. You certainly sound thrilled. Hey, Janine, your camera's off. I know, Dean. I'm having a bad hair day over here, so I'm going to leave the camera off if you don't mind. Yeah, no, it's all cool. Well, in these difficult and uncertain times, a brief diversion is just what we need. I see. I'm a little surprised that you have the time. You've been so busy lately. Oh, I can always carve out time to spend with my favorite co-workers. I really miss being in the office. I never thought I'd say this, but I do too. At least we could still meet up online for something fun. Exactly. Uh, so Janine and I have some really great trivia questions for you guys. Has everyone got the trivia app on their phone? Yeah, I was having some trouble with it. I'm sure it'll be fine, Rashida. Now, everybody open the app and type in this passcode. All right, it's working. I've logged in. I see Martin, Suzanne, and Cindy. Are you still having trouble, Rashida? Nope. I've just plugged in the passcode. Ah, there you are. So, are we doing teams? I mean, there's only six of us. We could do girls versus boys. Well, that's unfair. If we do that, it's four against two. Or we could divide by two teams, Suzanne's team versus Martin's. That'd be a great idea, Cindy. But I don't know which team I'd be on. I started out on Martin's and then got switched to Suzanne's. I can't be on both teams now, can I? Guys, it's just everyone for themselves. Maybe we'll do teams next time. Are we ready to get started? Is everyone here? Yep. All present and accounted for. It took two people to organize a trivia event for six? Uh, Janine reached out and said that she was interested in helping me come up with trivia questions, so... Janine, you're so generous with your time. Well, Suzanne, the important part is having fun. Now, who is ready for some trivia? Sounds good. 
For our first question, which animal does not make an appearance in Sergei Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf? Is it A, the cat, B, the bird, C, the dog, or D, the duck? Oof, this is a tough one. I don't think I've ever listened to Peter and the Wolf. I didn't realize you were a fan of classical music, Janine. Well, actually, that's one of my questions, Suzanne. It sure is, Dean, and it's a great one. Let me repeat it for you. Which animal does not make an appearance in Sergei Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf? Is it A, the cat, B, the bird, C, the dog, or D, the duck? I'm pretty sure there's a duck in Peter and the Wolf. Is it the dog? Ding, ding, ding. That's correct. Martin, you're doing a good job. Janine, are you okay? You sound a little off. I'm doing just fine, Rashida. Let's keep this trivia party going. Question two. In 1986, which Sesame Street character nearly boarded the Space Shuttle Challenger? They were going to put a Muppet on the Challenger? Is this for real? This is pretty obscure trivia, Janine. When did you have the time to research it? This is actually another one of my questions, Suzanne. If we're ready. In 1986, which Sesame Street character nearly boarded the Space Shuttle Challenger? Was it A, Elmo, B, Big Bird, C, Ernie, or D, Grover? My God, that would be the saddest day ever. Can you imagine all the little kids watching as Ernie exploded? It would have been horrifying, Cindy, but that is incorrect. Ernie was not scheduled to board the Challenger. That leaves Elmo, Big Bird, and Grover. I know my brother wishes it was Elmo. My niece is obsessed with that little red hairball. The other day, she walked into one of his meetings to sing that Wash Your Hands song that Elmo sings at the end of each episode. Oh, that sounds so cute, Martin. And quite informative. We should all be washing our hands. However, that is the wrong answer. Elmo was not considered astronaut material, and in fact, didn't gain his current stardom until the Tickle Me Elmo toy came out in the 90s. Is it Big Bird? You're correct, Rashida. You're doing a good job. They almost put Big Bird on the Challenger? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, NASA wanted to get kids more interested in the space program, and they thought sending one of the Muppets into space would be a great gimmick. The suit wound up being too cumbersome, so Krista McAuliffe was sent instead. God, I remember watching that on TV. Such a tragedy. My cousin's middle name is Krista, after Krista McAuliffe. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, I should call her later. That's a wonderful idea, Cindy. This pandemic has been so rough on all of us. It's important to take the time to reach out to others. It sure is. Janine, the game show voice is starting to get a little on the annoying side. Anyway, here's our next question. What common sleep disorder is depicted in Henry Fuseli's painting, The Nightmare? I just showed it on my screen. Wow, that's freaky. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that painting at all. Is it A, sleep apnea, B, sleepwalking, C, sleep paralysis, or D, narcolepsy? 
I actually know this one. It's sleep paralysis. That's correct, Martin. You're doing a good job. What the heck is sleep paralysis? It's the condition where you wake up before your body does, and as a result, you can't move. Most of the time, it's accompanied by a hallucination of some sort. That's happened to me before. I was napping on the couch, and all of a sudden, I couldn't move. I thought I saw my cat walking around me, but his legs were bending the wrong way. It was super freaky. That sounds so awful. Yeah, it was. So, who came up with that sleep paralysis question? Is this another one of yours, Dean? Yeah, I figured I'd throw a little art history in there just to make it classy. Janine, I thought you said you helped Dean come up with the questions. I sure did, Suzanne. I carved out a little time here and there to come up with a few good ones. It hasn't been easy, you know. My hubby and I are working full-time and taking care of my mom. Oh, that's right. Janine, how is your mother doing? She has her good days. I'm actually a little relieved we weren't able to put her in that nursing home before the pandemic hit. I hear that nursing homes and assisted living facilities are just hotbeds for COVID. Unfortunately, that's very true, Rashida. The last thing mom needs right now is COVID. Have you recovered from yesterday? We sure have, Suzanne. It was a little on the rough side, but we managed. I'm so glad. What happened yesterday? Our next door neighbors have a new baby and mom really wanted to bake a cake for them. Hubby and I had to explain that there's a pandemic going on and nobody really needs a cake right now. But you know how mom is. Oh my gosh, that sounds stressful. But what's the harm in letting her bake a cake? Let's just say that mom can't use the oven anymore. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize- It's all over now. And that's all that matters. You know, Janine, you said you'd have that report for me this morning. Golly, Suzanne, did I forget to email it to you? Yesterday was just so chaotic. Well, I went ahead and finished it for you, Janine. These sure do sound like extenuating circumstances, Suzanne. And maybe this is something best left to not trivia night. Janine, read us one of your questions. Of course, Dino. Hey, has anyone else noticed that we've got a Dean and a Martin in the group? Cindy, you and Rashida should go by Jerry and Lewis. That'd be a real hoot. Yeah, it would be funny. It'd be hilarious. Anyway, next question. What did Martin tell me at my last employee review? What? Uh, Janine, what's going on? Let me repeat that question, folks. What did Martin tell me at my last employee review? Janine, this is inappropriate. I'm sorry, Suzanne, but that's incorrect. I, I... I don't know what you're talking about. I'm closing my laptop and then I'm calling Brenda in HR. Any other guesses? Cindy? Dean? Rashida? What's going on? Why can't I move? I... I can't move either. Janine, whatever you're doing, it's not funny and it's not cool. Sorry, Suzanne, but that's incorrect. None of us can move. This is the sleep paralysis thing all over again. Janine, what the hell did you do to us? Why can't we move? Good guess, Cindy. But you are incorrect. 
Janine, I think this is something that the two of us should discuss privately. Why don't you let us all go so you and I can talk? That's also incorrect. The correct answer is... You're doing a good job! Yes, Janine, that's what I said. Janine, you're being extremely inappropriate right now. I don't know how you're doing this, but I swear to God, once I can move again, I'm gonna call Brenda- Next question. But what did Martin write in the report he gave to Suzanne when I was transferred to her team? Janine, this sounds like something you should be talking about in private with Martin and Suzanne. Yeah, it doesn't pertain to anyone else. And honestly, witnessing it feels weird. I feel like I'm violating your privacy. Can you please let us go? Golly, you are all incorrect. The written report Martin gave to Suzanne said, Janine makes frequent mistakes, and I have spent a lot of time correcting them. Holy shit. Janine, this is a private matter. The report went on to say that Martin spends hours and hours correcting my mistakes before my work is acceptable. Janine! But he always told me, let's say it together. You're doing a good job! Janine, I can see that you're upset. You've misunderstood some things, and I'd be happy to explain them to you in private. I don't know how you're doing this, but you have to stop. Funny. I didn't hear everyone say it with me. Come on. All together now. You're doing a good job! Let me explain. These past few years have been a little hectic for me, and I just didn't have the time to talk to you about your work performance. Next question, gang. It's clear that Martin lied to someone, but just who did he lie to? Did he lie to me or to Suzanne? And this seems like something you should be discussing with Martin and Suzanne, not me, Dean, and Cindy. Please, let us go. Janine, your work has been subpar and riddled with errors ever since you were transferred to my team. I am sick and tired of your excuses, and I want you to step up and take responsibility. Say, Dean, has Martin ever told you that you're doing a good job? Uh, he what? What kind of feedback does Martin give you, Dean? Does he say anything meaningful, or does he just tell you that you're doing a good job? Uh, Martin, are you actually training me? What the hell kind of question is that, Dean? Of course I'm training you. And you're doing a good job. Don't tell me, Martin. How has my work been? Am I doing it correctly, or do you have to fix everything? There are always one or two things to fix, Dean. That's just the way it is. Everyone makes mistakes sometimes. Yeah, but how are they supposed to fix them if you never tell them? Look, now is not a good time for this discussion. I have a lot on my plate at the moment, both at work and in my personal life. Come on, that's a shit excuse and you know it. You don't know a goddamn thing about my personal life, but since you insist, I had to put my daughter in rehab for the third time. I've been so busy with her, I barely have time to do my work. Which brings me to my next question. What's Martin's favorite subreddit? Uh, this, this is just... That's incorrect, Martin. What does this have to do with anything? Golly, let me rephrase that question. Which subreddit does Martin always have open in an incognito tab on his work laptop? How do you even know about that? Because your activity might still be visible to A. The websites you visit B. Your employer or school 
C. Your internet service provider. Or D. All of the above. Any IT team worth their salt can see what you've been up to, Martin. Janine, you're always bitching and moaning about how you don't have any time to get your work done. Yet you've got plenty of time to perform some kind of insane voodoo to paralyze us and come up with this trivia nonsense. <clears throat> That's incorrect, Suzanne. I'll repeat the question one last time. What is Martin's favorite subreddit? I am being very, very patient with you, Janine. But you are on thin ice. Let us go now. You know what? Fuck it. I, I want to know what Martin was doing when he was supposed to be training Janine. Dean, do not take her side in this. You'll only make things worse. Now, well, Martin's supposed to be training me, Suzanne. Am I going to end up like her? And I am, Dean. I swear to you, I am training you. You're doing a good job. Shut the hell up, Janine. No, no, Janine, tell us what Martin's been doing when he's supposed to be working. Tell us. Martin's favorite subreddit is Fat People Stories. And for bonus points, who has Martin posted about on Fat People Stories? Oh my god. None of this is true. Jesus fucking Christ. Not only has Martin been monitoring what you eat, Cindy, he's been posting about it online so that strangers can make fun of you. I... I can't... Martin, this is seriously fucked up. None of this is true. She's lying. <clears throat> Watching her stuff a burger and fries into her fat, ugly face is enough to make me a vegetarian. She's lying. She's bitter and angry because her work is subpar and she has no chance of You're even... You're doing a good job. I've already explained this to you. My daughter's in rehab. I've got my own work to do. I don't have time to hold your hand and wipe your goddamn nose and make sure you're doing your fucking homework. But you had plenty of time to write about Cindy on the internet. Why would you do this? What have I ever done to you? Janine is lying, Cindy. I'd never in a million years post something negative about you or, or anyone else in this department on the internet. That cow was wearing pink again today. I swear to God, she looks like a fucking sausage in that t-shirt. She needs an extra, extra, extra large, but she's probably too vain to buy something that fits correctly. She just keeps deluding herself into thinking she's a smaller size. None of this is true, Janine. In fact, I could sue you for slander I've for the- got screenshots, Martin. And you cannot prove that they're from me. Just shut up, Martin. Shut the fuck up. If it's any consolation, Cindy, he embellishes so he can get upvotes. Janine, this is very inappropriate, and I need you to stop. Hurting Cindy's feelings like this is wrong. And if this is some sick bid for sympathy and attention... Oh my god, Suzanne! Come on! We're all thinking it. It's why she keeps getting up in the middle of meetings to take care of her mother. Her mom's got dementia. Taking care of her isn't a plea for attention. And besides, Martin is the one posting on fat people's stories, not Janine. That's not what I said. This is clearly a plea for sympathy. She wants us to feel bad for her so she can turn shitty work in late. That's... that's so mean. Oh, grow up, Cindy. Janine's work is shit, and all she does is make excuses. I'm so fucking sick of it. You hear that, Janine? 
I can see right through this stupid little bid for sympathy. You're not the only person at this company who has to take care of someone. There are plenty of working mothers at this company, and none of them complain about it half as much as you do. Brenda in HR has two toddlers. Are you really comparing Janine's mom to a toddler right now? No, Cindy, you're twisting what I'm saying. And speaking of Brenda in HR... How many times has Suzanne complained about Rashida's hair? What? I... I, how do you know about that? Why is Suzanne complaining to Brenda in HR about Rashida's hair? Is it A. Rashida's hair is inappropriate B. Rashida's hair smells bad C. Rashida's hair is unclean and might be full of lice Or D. All of the above What kind of racist nonsense is this? No, Rashida, she's twisting it all around. I, I just... You just what? You just have a problem with my dreadlocks? Cindy hair is purple. Please, please do not bring me into this. I just... I don't think it's appropriate in a work environment. I'll say it again. Cindy hair is purple. And Suzanne's never once complained to HR about it. Listen, I was just... I was looking out for you, to make sure you didn't violate the office dress code. That's bullshit. And I, well, everyone knows you don't wash your hair, and I was concerned. That's completely untrue. I just, listen, I thought that you didn't wash dreadlocks, and I was worried about lice, okay? I was looking out for my co-workers. No, you were being racist. Don't you see what she's doing? She's distracting us. She's making us turn on each other. Suzanne, we are all paralyzed. There's not a lot we can do. But once I can move again, I'm telling Brenda everything. So am I. You keep telling Janine she's being inappropriate, but look at what you and Martin are doing. Oh, so you're okay with what she's doing? You're okay with her holding us hostage and ruining our lives like this? Everybody, listen. Look. I know that I messed You're up. You're doing a good job. We've all messed up. And I think that maybe if we all apologize to Janine and promise to make it up to her, she can let us go. What do you say, Janine? You're doing a good job. Oh, for fuck's sake, stop saying that. You're doing a good job. Look, I wanted to spare your feelings. Oh, Janine's feelings are important, but not mine? I didn't post those things. Let's tell Janine that she's doing a good job and then call Cindy a fat cow on the internet. Is that it? The second we're done here, I'm going straight to HR and getting you fired. For what? I didn't do anything. Yeah, and look how that's worked out for Janine. It's not my fault she sucks at her job. You're doing a good job. Janine, you've been floundering since you got here, and maybe this isn't a good fit for you. You don't have the authority to fire anyone, Suzanne. No, I don't. I think, though, that Janine is having a difficult time. Janine, I think you need a break. You need to take some time for yourself. Next trivia question. What did Suzanne tell me on the first day of lockdown? Janine, please. This is so irrelevant. Tell us, Janine. Suzanne said, Just because we're in lockdown doesn't mean that we can take it easy, Janine. You've got to buckle down if you want to pull yourself up out of that hole you're stuck in. 
You've really got to burn the candle at both ends. Put down the novels and get to work. You're taking it out of context. I haven't had time to read a novel since we took Mom in. She sure is a handful. To be honest, we were kind of looking forward to getting her into that nursing home. I know things have been difficult. You got that right, Suzanne. Before COVID, it wasn't so bad because I could send Mom to an adult daycare center. But now it's closed. And I'm sorry it's been so difficult for you, Janine. But taking it out on us... It's like I'm drowning, you know? I'm drowning and everyone can see. But no one will throw me a life jacket. Janine, I wish you'd told someone. Cindy, before we went into lockdown, how many times did you find me crying in the bathroom? I asked what was wrong and you wouldn't tell me. Janine, we're not psychic. We don't know if there's a problem. You have to speak up and tell someone. Well, someone other than Suzanne and Martin. I'm sorry I thought your hair was dirty. Can you just let it go? I cannot believe you right now. Which brings me to my next trivia question. Holding us hostage so you can guilt trip us isn't going to help, Janine. You need to take a deep breath and just let go. Are you seriously saying that we all just need to let you and Martin bully us? It, it isn't bullying. This isn't playground nonsense. What Martin did to Cindy clearly counts as workplace harassment. And what you tried to do I to me- I was concerned. I couldn't help it. I was just concerned. What do I think about doing at least once a day? Is it A, putting a gun in my mouth, B, slitting my wrists, C, swallowing everything in the medicine cabinet, or D, all of the above? Janine, this is sick. Janine, you need help. Let us help you. Fuck that. I've helped her enough. You haven't helped her at all. She's holding us all hostage and forcing us to watch her go crazy because of you. Guys, I'm a little sad that no one's playing trivia anymore. That's because this is just some sick, stupid ploy for attention, and we're tired of it. Your work has been slipping, and your job's in danger, so you're staging a fucking mental breakdown so we'll all feel sorry for you. I don't think that this is staged. shitting me right now, Dean? She's done some kind of voodoo that prevents us from getting up and leaving. You said so yourself. She's forcing us to watch her go crazy. Stop calling it voodoo, you racist bitch. I'm not racist. Next question. What did Suzanne say to me just yesterday after mom had her meltdown? Janine, please. For context, she wanted to know why that report wasn't done. And I just didn't have an answer. After all, I was a little bit frazzled. Listen, I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry for what I said. Why is it late, Janine? Why is it late? I didn't know how hard things were for you. Gun to your head, Janine. Why is it late? What's the answer, Janine? What's the answer? Gun to your head. What's the answer? Gun to your head. Gun to your head. Gun to your head! Gun to your head! Jesus Christ! You actually said that? It's a figure of speech. And I was frustrated. And I didn't know she'd been suicidal. Oh, so now you believe her. Were you concerned, Suzanne? Were you concerned for Janine? Or were you only concerned about my dreadlocks? Is that it? 
I didn't know, okay? I just didn't know, and that doesn't make me a bad person. Now for our next question. What kind of gun does my hubby own? What? What kind of gun does my husband own? Janine, please turn your camera on. Look, whatever you're going through, we can help you. Don't do it, Janine. It's not worth it. Sorry, folks. None of you have answered the question correctly. Hubby's gun is a Smith & Wesson 22 revolver. Janine, can you please tell us where your husband's gun is right now? That's a great trivia question, Dean. Anybody got the answer? Can it be sick? I can't believe you said that to her. It's not my fault. I can't believe you. I can't fucking believe you. I can. Now, Dean's question was, Janine, can you please tell us where your husband's gun is right now? And nobody got the answer. The correct answer is, with me. Hubby's gun is with me. Please don't do this, Janine. Please, please, please don't do this. We can help you, Janine. Please, let us help you. I've got another trivia question. Janine, this isn't going to solve your problems. What's your address, Janine? Sorry, Dino. That's not the question. The penultimate trivia question is, where am I right now? You, you're not at home? I'll give you guys a hint. She turned her camera on. That's the office. She's at work. Janine, why don't you come around so we can see you? We'd really like to see you. Are you sure about that? My hair is a mess. We're positive. We'd really like to see you, Janine. We just want to know that you're safe and sound. Can you step in front of the camera for us, Janine? Can you please do that? Oh, but my hair is such a mess. We don't care about that, do we? No. We only care about you being safe, Janine. Golly, you're sweet. All right, here we go. Oh my god. Oh my god. Janine, your head up. Oh my god. How? How is this possible? I know, I know. My hair's a mess. How are you still alive? <gasps> and now for the bonus round. Janine, what did you do? Why is your head like that? Oh god, there's so much blood. Yeah, this isn't real. This isn't real. Half her head is gone. That that stain on the wall behind her. It's still oozing. That's her brain. Her brain is dripping down the wall. I know, it's a little messy in here. I don't think the janitor has been in because of lockdown. Then how is she still talking? Yeah, no, this this isn't real. This isn't real. Uh, this isn't real. This isn't real. This is a this is a bad dream. I've got sleep paralysis and I'm hallucinating and none of this is real. Janine, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry I didn't know. You didn't tell me how hard things were if I'd known if you told me. Are you seriously blaming her for this? What? No, I'm not. You yelled about putting a gun to her head. Are you surprised that she actually went and did it? It's a figure of speech and I didn't yell. The final bonus trivia question is... Can I get a drum roll? Our very final trivia question is... Whose front door did I just open? 
We hope you survived our terrifying tales. Join us again next week, if you dare. The No Sleep Podcast Hour is presented by WNSP in conjunction with Creative Reason Media. The musical score was composed by Brandon Boone. Our production team is Phil Mykolski, Jeff Clement, and Jesse Cornett. Our creative content manager is Olivia White. Our editor-in-chief is Jessica McAvoy. Please visit thenosleeppodcast.com for show notes and more details about the people who bring you this show. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast Hour, we thank you for tuning in and for being a supportive Season Pass member. This program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc.